City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the 3rd floor. Education is changing. I was talking to a friend the other day about his experience in grad school, and he said one of the best ways for him to understand what his professors were talking about was to go and Google lectures from better schools than his and hear the lecturers teach about that thing. And I thought, no, there's no way. There's no way. So I started, I, I did it. I went on to Google, and sure enough, lectures from Harvard Business School, right there on YouTube. You, you want to take a class? You want to hear a lecture from Yale's medical school? Type it in. You can find that. You want to you find out what Princeton has to say about some other discipline? It's on there. Education is changing in the way that we receive it. In fact, there's this cottage industry that has grown up in the past few years as sort of people realize more and more that they can take education online. There are these sort of smaller, more boutique classes that are offered. There's a company that has hired the experts in all of these fields that are almost hobbies to offer master's classes in their sort of app that you can subscribe to. So I've been getting ads for this, and my ads are a little bit confusing, if I'm honest, uh, because I've seen three different ones of these advertised to me. The first one is, come pay money and take an online class with Gordon Ramsay to learn how to cook. Now that one I understand. I love to cook. I get that. That one is totally on brand. The next one is, come take an online screenwriting course with Aaron Sorkin. Now, I like what Aaron Sorkin writes, one of my favorite writers, but I don't have a screenplay in the works, right? This is this is St. Petersburg, not Los Angeles, where everybody has a screenplay in their drawer that they're willing to talk to you about. And the third one is a course where you can either learn to play the banjo or learn to tell jokes. Both classes taught by Steve Martin. Your choice, Steve Martin, will either teach you how to tell jokes or how to play the banjo. And there are these boutique classes. Whatever your interests are, many of you have probably seen, whether on social media or whether on an advertisement in an article that you're reading, these classes being offered to you. This morning, we're going to get to experience one of those classes in a way. You see, we're going to get to experience David's master's class on what repentance looks like. We've been walking through the life of David week by week here at City Church, and every few weeks we stop and we look at a psalm that David wrote in the midst of the situation that he was going through. This week we're going to do that, but I think it's helpful to set in our minds, to remind ourselves what exactly has been going on in David's life. The psalm that we're going to read, Psalm 51, it comes after he is confronted by Nathan. And the reason that he was confronted by Nathan is that David had messed up. And by messed up, I mean sinned. He had raped Bathsheba, and then to try to cover up the rape, he decides that he is going to try to get her husband drunk to cover it up. And that doesn't work out for him, so he goes to plan B, which is murder. Needless to say, David was in need of some repentance. And it took Nathan 
giving him the story that we talked about last week of the, the rich man and the poor man, the rich man who had herds and the poor man who had a pet, for David to realize what he had done. And it's interesting because in 2 Samuel 12 that we talked about last week, David just said this. He just said, I have sinned against God. And that was all that we have that he said. Well, in many ways, the psalm that we're going to read this morning, Psalm 51, is David expanding on that. Is David sort of writing out in full what he means by that. And so this is a class that David is writing for us on repentance. And it's something that all of us need. You see, for those of us who are Christians, we often think of repentance as the ABCs of Christianity. This is, this is the beginning of Christianity. Repentance is how you become a Christian, and then you move on to other things. Then you move on to serious discipleship. Then you move on to, to doing better with your spiritual disciplines. But repentance is just this thing, how you start out. It's the ABCs. But in reality, repentance is for us the A to Z of the Christian faith. Repentance and faith is what all of the rest of our lives in Jesus are based on. And because our sins are new every morning, repenting and believing again is something that is fresh to us to remember the grace of God. But for others of us, we need to hear about repentance because it's something that our culture does not understand very well. Our culture is not a culture where repentance is seen at all. I think of the past uh, 18 to 24 months uh, with sort of all of the revelations that have come out of the sort of Me Too movement and things associated with it. What happens when somebody is found out to have wronged others? To have harassed others, to have assaulted others. Usually one of two things happens. Either there is a very shallow, half-hearted apology, right? I'm sorry that this thing happened. I don't even remember it happening. But I, I think that I've moved on from there in my life. We, we have seen these sort of half-hearted, whoops, my bad sort of apologies. Or the other side of it is, that we have seen these sort of showy acts of penance, these sort of big, wide, broadcasted thing where, oh, well, not, I'm so sorry here. I'm going to give $5 million to this charity because I'm so sorry. Here, everybody look at how sorry I am, and they sort of plaster it on the billboard, plaster it on a big check, and hand it to somebody. See, in our culture, those are the two ways that we think about how to apologize, how to repent when we get caught for our sin. But what David's going to show us is something different. What David is going to show us is what it means when the Bible talks about repentance. And so what I'd like to do this morning is to read to you Psalm 51. What we'll do is we'll all stand up together. I'll read it out loud. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen, and we will hear what David has to say in the face of his sin. So stand with me if you would. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. 
against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago, but intended for us this morning. You may be seated. See, Church, what David shows us in this passage is that we don't really repent. Because either we don't think we need to, or because we think that repentance is just a sort of chest-beating moral performance. And what David does is walks us through again and again the steps of what his heart is going through in this moment. So this week, what we're going to do is just do that. We're going to trace the line of what David was saying was happening in his heart through this psalm. And the way that he does this is he opens up, the first few verses are just sort of a summary of everything that is to come, but then he begins in verse 3 to show us exactly what it means to acknowledge our sin. David begins to talk about, my sin is ever before me. And it's interesting that even David's language is significant. Because what happens when we get caught doing something wrong? What, better yet, I will I won't start meddling with you yet, okay? Let's talk about other people out there for now, so we don't have to worry about us, right? Sermons should be about other people, not about us. That's sarcasm, by the way. But what happens when somebody is caught in something very publicly, and they have to apologize? How many times have we heard this statement? Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. What's interesting about a phrase like, mistakes were made, is guess what? That doesn't say that I made any mistakes. And even if I did, they were just mistakes. But David begins, repentance begins with acknowledging that the things that we have done wrong are, in fact, wrong. They're not mistakes. They're not picadillos. They're not that thing that happened one time. No, David says, I have sinned. And not only does he say that I have sinned, but you can already see the way that that sin is working on his bones. My sin is ever before me. 
most of us know what this feels like. Most of us know what it feels like to have sinned and to not be able to shake it. To not be able to stop thinking about it. When we close our eyes, it is what our hearts quickly go to. And David says, that is what I'm going through, and that is because I have sinned. And not only does he say, I have sinned in this moment, right? David's not just saying, hey, it's it's about the Bathsheba and Uriah thing. No, David expands it, and he says what? I was born in sin. What he's not, what he says in there is not, what he's not implying is that he was conceived out of wedlock or something like that. No, what he's saying is that sin has been the pattern and the habit of his heart from the very beginning. We might call this original sin, or the way that our sin nature is infected our hearts even from the time we are children. Just ask any parent of a two-year-old whether or not humans are sinners, and they will very quickly be able to very vividly describe to you that, yes, our sin nature is not something we pick up later on, but rather something that is born into us. And David says, this has been the pattern of my life. But it's not just that it's been the pattern of his life, but it goes deeper than just actions. See, what what we want to do, what what I want to do, is I want to isolate my sin to a list of things that I did this week. I did this, messed up here, I said that unkind thing, and I gossiped. Those were the things that I did. That's my sin. We want to be able to list out our actions. But David says that what's really going on in him, and what's really going on in you and I, is that underneath that, underneath the sins that we can see, deeper, more tragic thing, is the fact that our sins are rooted in pride and unbelief. So the reason that David took Bathsheba, the reason that David killed Uriah, was because at the end of the day he was prideful. And David is not just confessing these sins sort of here, but he is beginning to show us that real repentance doesn't just stop at our actions, but it drills down into our motives, into the things that we are truly worshiping. He talks about the sins beneath our sins. Now, this is a little bit of a bleak picture and a kind of downer way to start a sermon. That's okay. I'm okay with that. We're going to get to the good stuff, but there is a sense in which we need to begin to understand and do the hard, uncomfortable work of popping the hood open on our heart and looking down in there and seeing what it is that is actually motivating us. What are the things that we are actually worshiping that are resulting in the sins that everyone else can see? What is the sin and idolatry in our heart that drives those things? When David begins to repent, the first way that he does is by being genuine, honest, and doing the hard work of saying this isn't just what's going on that everybody else can see, but rather I have deeper issues that are motivating those things. David's repentance is much deeper than just Bathsheba and Uriah. And so because he's able to acknowledge his 
actions as sin. He's able to acknowledge that there is something deeper in his heart. What he's able to do is cry out for forgiveness. Forgive me. Wash me. Hide your face from my iniquities. Blot out my sins. What's interesting as he turns and begins to ask and cry out for forgiveness is he's asking for things that he cannot do. He can't wash himself of this. He can't purge himself. He can't hide God's face from these things. You see, one of the first things that we notice is that David is seeking zero self-justification. David does not try to justify himself in the face of his sin. Far too often, for you and for me, whenever we confess, we want to justify it. I'm sorry that that person cut me off in traffic, so then I responded poorly in sin. I'm sorry that my my wife did this thing that angered me, and I responded in anger. Right? All of those are ways to say, okay, well, yes, okay, maybe I sinned, okay, I'll give you that, fine, preacher guy, right? I'll give you, but the reason I did was because of this other thing that was out of my control. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit justified by the fact that I was just responding to a bad situation. David has zero of that. David has zero self-justification. I have sinned. I have sinned against God. And I need something miraculous to change me. I need someone to absolutely forgive me. I need someone to have divine intervention. I cannot do this on my own. So for those of you who are here who are not Christians, it's interesting. Because David is assuming something of all what David is assuming of all of us is that we understand that our actions are before the face of God. And so when David begins to repent, as he repents, he is repenting as if he lives his life before the face of God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, one of the ways to begin to consider Christianity is beginning, beginning to consider what would it look like if there was a God? And if there was a God, what would it look like for my life to be lived in front of him? David recognizes that. So he acknowledges not just his actions, but the heart behind his actions. And cries out to forgiveness. Cries out for something divine. He says, God, forgive me, but also create something new. The songs that Nathan chose this week were all sort of based on this idea of the Holy Spirit creating something new. This is, this is the language of creation that David is pointing to. Would you create in me a clean heart? I can't. I can't. God, I need you to be the one who changes this. I need you to restore your presence. I need you to return me to fellowship. I need you to do this. So not only is there zero self-justification in David, but there is also an admittance that there's zero that he can do to fix it. That's hard for us. Because ultimately, part of what's going on here is David is giving up control. 
can't justify myself, and I can't fix it. But he is trusting in something. He is trusting in the steadfast love of God, the covenant faithfulness of God, that God not only can create in him a clean heart, but because David is willing to confess, because David is trusting in him, that he will. And so there's a turn where all of a sudden he says, if you would create in me a clean heart, then here's what I'm going to do. Then I will teach transgressors your way. Then I will begin to sing your praises. Then I will begin to teach others about you. I will sing in praise. You see, when we truly come to grips with the depth of our sin and genuinely repent of it and ask God for new life, what happens is that new life absolutely overflows. The new life of Jesus absolutely spills out in ways that we cannot imagine into the lives of others around us. You see, this is not just a matter of me being quiet and thinking about my sins and being real sorry for them and then asking God to forgive us. When we truly repent, it creates a sort of natural reaction that moves out. I remember, um, well, I won't say who, but somebody who grew up in my house who was an older male figure, okay, fine, it was my dad, um, one time decided that he was going to do a really good job cleaning the showers of our house. And so he decided, okay, let me find the two best cleaning-ish things that I can find. So we had a pool, and so he found the, the uriatric acid, and he found the chlorine. And he thought, okay, I'm going to clean the shower using these. This is a good idea. And you know what? Here's what I'll do. I'll just make one cleaning solution out of all of this. So he takes a bucket, and he pours them in there. Now, I don't know uh, a lot about science, but after this experience, I did a science project. And what happens when you combine muriatric acid and chlorine is you get something. There's a byproduct of that reaction. Uh, most people call the byproduct of that reaction mustard gas. So my dad had taken and made mustard gas in the enclosed area of the shower. Sorry. Really fits on point. Don't mean to embarrass you. You do it to me all the time, though. So why do I tell the story of my dad and the mustard gas? Because it was the natural reaction that produced something. When we truly come to grips with our sin, when we genuinely repent, when God creates a new heart and a new life in us, when God restores us to himself, the natural reaction is that we will begin to move out into that new life. That new life will overflow. It will become a pleasant version of mustard gas. Instead of noxious, the smell of life that follows us around. And David says, this is what will happen. And then David sort of switches gears for a second and does something interesting. He begins to talk about, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. Why does David take this aside? What he's doing here is showing us one of the big critiques 
of the way that you and I repent. You see, what we want to do when we repent is we want to, we want to make a showy religious moment out of it. Uh, when I repent, I want everybody to know about it. Look at me. I'm repenting. Now look at all the good things I've done. You see, what you and I, who are Christians, have a problem with is that we would rather engage in penance than repentance. We would rather engage in penance, which is us tipping the scales back in our favor. See, I, I, I did this wrong thing, and so now I'm going to go do these two good things. Two is better than one. I have repented because I have equalized or bettered the scales. And so what happens is, instead of repenting, we try to paint over our sin with good deeds. We, we sin and we realize that we have sinned and all of a sudden we decide, you know what, I'm going to give more money to the church. And then I'll feel better about myself and then I will forget about the fact that I sinned. I, I have sinned. I need to make this right. Ah yes, here's what I'll do. I'll have a big, tearful, contrite moment and then everybody will know that I feel sorry for my sin. What's interesting is nowhere do we find David having this giant, tearful, contrite moment. Do we? Rather, David begins to trust more and more. Because he's repenting, not trying to do penance. Not trying to cover over his bad sins with good works. You see, we as Christians are very quick to try to justify ourselves by covering over our bad works. By saying, our sin wasn't that bad. In fact, it's so not bad that I can save myself from it with our good works. When we begin to examine our hearts, it's interesting that there are some good works, some kindness and love that we probably need to repent of because our motivation underneath of it is still a self-salvation project. It's still a moment of self-justification. But not only when our hearts truly repent does it affect those immediately around us, but this is also the catalyst that changes communities. The last few verses, he begins to talk about the walls of Jerusalem, which, let's be honest, in a, in a prayer about repentance, what in the world is David doing saying, and by the way, the walls are going to be great. What, David? What David is showing us is that when we truly repent, not only does our new life spill out into those immediately around us, but that new life creates a change in the world around us. And so it is a chance for us to see that. But this process, this process of repentance is not one that comes when David was crying out for forgiveness, he was very choosy, very poetic, very careful with his words. And he mentioned three things in particular. He mentioned hyssop, he mentioned his bones, and he mentioned the face of God. Why? Why did David do that? Because all three of those things are things that point us 
to Jesus. Hyssop was what the people of Israel, on the night before the very first Passover, painted the blood of the Lamb around their door. It was what the people of Israel used in all of their covenantal celebrations. It was the way that they remembered God's redemption. And it points us ahead to the cross, where guess what the sponge that was offered up to Jesus was offered up on? But a hyssop branch. And we're reminded of the bones. And David himself wrote Psalm 22, a psalm about the crucifixion of Jesus where where David was singing in advance about what God would do through the crucifixion. And he reminds us that crucifixion was such a cruel torture that not a single one of the bones of Jesus was broken. And that in that moment, God hid his face from Jesus because Jesus was bearing the punishment for your sins and for mine. Jesus was taking on himself what you and I deserve. You see, our repentance is not free. Our forgiveness is not free. It is very, very costly, but someone else has picked up the tab. You know, just the other day, I was at Bandit, and and Chris Archer was there. And for those of you who don't know, Chris Archer is uh, probably the most famous player for the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team. And Chris Archer uh, set his stuff to the side, and was about to buy a bottle of water, but he stepped into the back to use the restroom. And somebody bought Chris Archer his water. And I was there uh, near the register watching this all happen, and the person didn't want to stay around, the person didn't want to get an autograph or anything like that, just said, hey, I'll buy that for him and go. And, and this baseball player, who makes millions of dollars, was sort of aghast. He had never had anyone pick up the tab for him. He was used to going out and people sliding their bills his way. Hey, you're the millionaire pitcher. You pick up my tab. And somebody in a random act of generosity bought him a bottle of water. You see, our forgiveness is not free. It was very costly. But someone else has picked up the tab. That Jesus has picked up the tab for us. He has taken the penalty. He has taken the He has secured for us. And so we can live in this grace. We can live in this moment, in this world, where we can be genuine and honest about our sin. We don't have to hide. We don't have to minimize. We can call our sin what it is. And even more than just our actions, we can open up the hood and say, not only is my heart, or not only are my actions wrong, but if you look down at my heart, what you're going to find is pride. You're going to find envy and jealousy. You're going to find lust and anger. That's where these things are coming from. And we can confess that because we know the good news that Jesus has taken that from us. And so not only can we truly recognize our sin, but we can confess it. We can repent of it. And as we do, as we repent of it, God, because of Jesus, not because of anything we've done, not because of any good works we try to cover, not because of any self-justification, because of what Jesus has already done for us, comes to us and offers us forgiveness, free to us, costly to Him, and that forgiveness creates in you and me a new life. A new life where we are open to the possibility of change and renewal. And that new life is so sweet and good that it begins to make our hearts sing inside of us. It creates 
in us a joy and thankfulness that we didn't even think possible before. And as that works its way out from the center of us, from the center of our heart, it changes those around us. It's an opportunity for us to love and serve others the way that we have loved and served, the way for us to be genuine and forgiving of others because we have been genuinely forgiven by Jesus. And when all of us begin to do that together, it begins to create something new in a place like downtown St. Petersburg. City Church, this, Psalm 51, is what we are all about. May God give us the courage to look at our hearts, to repent, and to find Jesus anew and afresh this morning good. Let's pray.